Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. John chapter 12. John chapter 12, which is normally a passage of Scripture that we do on Palm Sunday, but that's a long ways away. We've not even Christmas yet, so we can't even be thinking about Palm Sunday until we get past Christmas, but that's what our text has for us today, the triumphal entry in John chapter 12. Many of you may have heard somebody say something like this. Quote, you can accept Jesus as your Savior, but you don't have to accept Him as Lord. That happens later on when you get more discipleship, when you understand more things. Later on, down the road, you can make Jesus the Lord of your life. But for right now, just accept Him as Savior. You don't have to trust Him as Lord. That is a dangerous teaching that divides up the offices of Christ. Listen to what A.W. Tozer has said. The Lord will not save those whom He cannot command. He will not divide His offices. You cannot believe in a half-Christ. We take Him for what He is, the anointed Savior and Lord, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. There is a movement it's been around for a few years within evangelicalism, and it's called free grace theology. Now, at first glance, that sounds good. Free grace theology. We're saved by grace, free grace. Uh, what's wrong with that type of thinking? But that's not exactly what they teach. There are two major organizations that promote this, this view, Free Grace Alliance and Grace Evangelical Society. And basically what they teach is this. When you talk to a person about the gospel, when you share your faith, you should never, ever mention the need for repentance or lordship. You just need to accept Jesus as your Savior, and that's enough. Later on, when they get more information, they will understand what it means for Jesus to be Lord, but don't add lordship to the gospel presentation. Just accept Jesus as your Savior, but not as Lord. And they would even go so far, some of the extreme views of this, of saying that if somebody once prayed to receive Christ as Savior and later on became an atheist, they're still okay because they at one time gave head knowledge to the fact that Jesus was their Savior, but they never submitted to Him as Lord. Back in the 1980s, John MacArthur wrote a very excellent book called The Gospel According to Jesus. I encourage you to read it. He was the one that addressed this issue. Wayne Grudem, just a few months ago, came out with another book called Free Grace Theology, Five Ways It Diminishes the Gospel. So what this free grace theology does is it basically says you don't have to repent in order to come to faith in Christ and lordship is optional. Just take Jesus as your savior and later on you can figure out this whole 
lordship issue. But let me ask you a very fundamental question this morning. When it comes to our salvation, is submitting to the lordship of Christ optional? Is it something that we can just, we can take him as savior, but later on when we understand things more fully, then we can really, quote-unquote, make him the Lord of our life. Let me just give you a little newsflash. We don't make Jesus the Lord of our lives. He already is Lord, whether we do anything with him or not. It doesn't matter what we do with him. He's already Lord. Now, we're called to submit to him as Lord. We're called to trust him as Lord. And so the question is, will Jesus himself allow his followers to make his kingship, his lordship, optional. In other words, when a person is saved, is it just head knowledge about who God is or does there need to be a radical transformation where there's true, genuine repentance and faith to Jesus as both Savior and Lord? There are two types of faith that we see in this passage of Scripture before us. Two groups of people. The first type of faith says, I want Jesus on my terms when he's convenient for me and he does things that I want him to do. That's the first type of faith we see. I like Jesus as my Savior when he's conveniently giving me what I want. The second type of faith is what Jesus actually defines as faith, and it says, you must die to yourself and submit to him as absolute Lord of your life no matter what the cost so let's see this unfold before us these two types of faiths at the triumphal entry of jesus on palm sunday so let's read together john chapter 12 starting in verse 12 the next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that jesus was coming to jerusalem So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father 
will honor him. Here's the main point of Jesus' teaching in this passage of Scripture. You must follow Jesus as king by dying to yourself. You must follow Jesus as the king. And how do you do that? By dying to yourself. This is all about Jesus as king and all about dying to self and all about following him as Lord. So let's look at these two types of faith unfold this morning in these two sections. So in verses 12 through 19, we see a false faith in the coming king. This is Palm Sunday. Remember last week when Mary poured out the pure nard and she worshipped Jesus by anointing his feet in that beautiful, extravagant display of worship? That was Saturday night. This is the next day. It's Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday before Resurrection Sunday. And it says there in verse 12, a large crowd had come to the feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. A large crowd. Now, scholars estimate that Jerusalem's population during this time was about 100,000 people. And when you add in all the pilgrims and travelers that were coming there for the Feast of Passover, some scholars estimate there could be about a million people in Jerusalem. We don't know how many people were here at this event. The Bible just says it's a large crowd. So there's this large, massive crowd coming to see Jesus. And the Bible here says in verse 13, they take palm branches and they start waving palm branches. Now you may ask yourself, what's the significance of palm branches. In the Old Testament, palm branches were a symbol of righteousness. But by the time of Jesus' day, palm branches were a sign of national ethnic pride and patriotism. So it's a symbol of wanting nationalistic pride in a coming Messiah who's going to kick Rome out of the empire and set up Jerusalem as the kingdom. So think about not so much they're worshiping Jesus. This is more like a political rally where they're waving American flags and they want their leader to come make changes in Washington. This is more what's going on here. This is not so much worshiping Jesus as king who's going to take away their sins, take away their guilt. This is more, we want a liberator to come and give us national peace and prosperity and set up his kingdom in Jerusalem. So we're waving these palm branches as a a symbol of national pride and patriotism. We want a king. We want a leader. We want a political leader. We don't want a king that's going to save us from our sins, per se. We don't want a king that's going to forgive us of our guilt. We don't want a king that we want to submit everything to as Lord. We just want a king that's going to come and make life comfortable for us by getting the Roman Empire out here and making Jerusalem the center of power again. We want a political king. We want a political leader. We want a nationalistic ruler that will bring back patriotism and honor to Jerusalem. We want an earthly king who will make things right again. And notice what they're shouting. Hosanna! Hosanna! You know what Hosanna means? Lord, save me now. 
Lord, save me now. Which is very ironic. What are they shouting out? We want a Savior. We want somebody to save us now. Lord, save us now. So they're crying out for salvation, but is it the right type of salvation? What type of salvation are they wanting? Save us now from Rome. Save us now from political occupation. Save us now from the Roman Empire so that we can set up an earthly Jerusalem and we can have an earthly ruler. Save us now politically. Save us now nationally. Be King David and rule from Jerusalem, Jesus, and be our political leader. It was a call for salvation but not the right kind of salvation. It's a political rally for a political king to meet their political agendas. That's why they're waving palm branches. Now, the crowd may not have known what they were doing. They may not have been conscious. They're quoting the Psalms. Psalm 118, 24 through 25 says this, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, Save us, we pray, O Lord. Hosanna. Hosanna, O Lord, we pray. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. They want a king. They want a savior. But on their terms. Do they want a king that's going to come and die on a cross? Do they want a king that's going to humble himself and become obedient to death, even death on a cross? Or do they want a political leader to come and make life easy for them? Save me now, Jesus. Come be my king now, Jesus. And it would have shocked them because he comes riding into Jerusalem on what? What does the Bible say? Verse 14, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Now, what's a donkey a symbol of? Humility and peace. Jesus does not come into Jerusalem riding on a war horse. He's not on this big white steed marching into Jerusalem as the king to take over. He comes in on a beast of burden, a little burrow, a donkey. I mean, normal people rode donkeys. Salespeople going from village to village priests it was a symbol of of peace a symbol of humility jesus comes riding a donkey not a war horse not as the way they would expect the king to come in pomp and circumstance and in power but on a donkey and this is a direct prophecy from zechariah chapter 9 zechariah 9 9 says this rejoice greatly o daughter of zion Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The king's coming. The king is coming on a donkey, not on a war horse. But is this the type of king that the people want? Do they want a humble servant that's going to come as the Lamb of God led to the slaughter to die for their sins? Or do they want a political leader? Do they want a military ruler? Do they want a savior and a king on their terms that's going to make life comfortable for them? 
You see, their concept of a savior is we want a military ruler to come in and set up political power. Jesus' concept of salvation is I'm coming in on a donkey in humility to go die on the cross. This isn't the first time that the people wanted to make Jesus king. Remember back at the feeding of the 5,000? Back in John chapter 6, Jesus had just fed the 5,000. They got this wonderful miracle. Why are these people here? The Bible says these people are here because they saw that Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. They're, they're, they're kind of, if you, if you pardon the expression, they're kind of rubbernecking in a way. They want to come see what's going on here. Who's this Jesus guy? We've heard that he's fed the 5,000. We've heard that he's raised a guy from the dead. We hear that he's this political leader coming in. We want to see this Jesus. Back after the feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, this is right after the feeding of the 5,000, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who's come into the world, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force force to make him king jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself then they wanted to make him king now they're wanting to make him king waving the palm branches waving the patriotic flags wanting a political ruler on their terms but the question is is this authentic faith is this the type of faith that saves what type of faith is it is it truly faith in Jesus as Lord, or is it just political nationalism? Is it patriotism? Is it, is it hopes that they're gonna, he's going to save them now from Rome? And it's easy when you're a crowd to cry out, Lord, save me. And so this crowd is, is shouting. It's at a frenzy. Jesus is at his height of popularity at this moment. He is at his height of popularity at this moment. But they want a king who will perform on their agenda according to their wishes, according to their timetable. And the Pharisees know that he's at the height of popularity. Look at what they say in verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, we're getting nowhere. This is not working out for us. The entire world is going after him. You see their exaggerated statement? Everybody's flocking to Jesus. We've got to stop this now. His popularity is at a crescendo. If we don't do something now, there could be some major problems. We could have a mob riot on our hands. Rome could literally come in and start causing us some problems. We've got to squash this Jesus fellow now. And we know that the ball's been rolling all along to do that. And so here's the irony. Jesus is king. He is the king of Israel. He comes in on the donkey. He comes in humbly on his way to die in just a few days. This is Palm Sunday. What's going to happen on Friday? He's going to die on the cross. What do the people want? What do the people conceive? We want a political leader. We want a nationalistic ruler that's going to kick Rome out of power and set up an earthly kingdom so that we can have life comfortable and have peace and prosperity once and for all in our little world, but they don't ever mention anything about forgiveness, repentance, wanting to have their guilt taken away, the fact that he's going to die on the cross. So this is the first scene of faith. What type of faith is it? Let's explore the second scene. In verses 20 through 26 
the coming king defines true faith. Jesus is going to define for us what true faith is. He's going to say, truly, truly, I say to you, amen, amen. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Here's what true faith is. And so these Greeks, verse 20 says, these Greeks come and want to see Jesus. Who are these Greeks? Maybe your Bible says Gentiles. These are non-Jewish people that somehow were enamored with the whole Jewish way of life. And they came to the Feast of Passover. They were not allowed to participate fully in the Feast of Passover. They had to be relegated to the outside court of the Gentiles. They were what we'd call God-fears. They weren't saved. They weren't Christians. They were were non-Jewish Gentiles that were coming to find out who Jesus was. Now, it's interesting. This is only unique to John. What did earlier the people say? The king of Israel's coming. Now, is Jesus the king of the Jews? Yes. But the fact that these Gentiles are coming shows us that John's burden is here is to expand the scope to say that Jesus is not just king of the Jews, he's king of the world. He's king of the the Gentiles, Jew and Gentile. And literally, when the Pharisees there in verse 19 say the whole world's going after him, in in a sense, it's kind of true. The the non-Jewish people are seeking out Jesus. And they want to know what, what, what he's all about. And so they go to Philip. Philip goes and takes Andrew. They bring these Greeks to Jesus. And Jesus says something very profound in verse 23. What does he say? Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour's come. Now, up to this point, we've seen this about four or five times where Jesus says, The hour has not come. Let's just take a little tour. Go back with me to John chapter 2 for a moment. We're just going to look at this real briefly. John chapter 2, verse 4. His first public miracle, the wedding at Cana. His mom, Mary, wants him to do this big miracle. Show everybody who you are, Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 4. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. It's not time yet. Mary, my hour is not yet come. Chapter 7, verse 6. Chapter 7, verse 6. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. My time has not yet come. Chapter 7, verse 30. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Chapter 8, verse 20. Chapter 8, verse 20. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Time and time again, the hour's not here. The hour's not here. The time for his death is not here. The hour has not come. What does Jesus say here in verse 23? The hour's now come. It's time. We are just days away from the fact that the Son of Man is going to be glorified. In other words, he's going to be betrayed. He's going to die on the cross. He's going to rise again. The hour has come. The time is here. His time of doing miracles, his time of doing signs, all that's past. The time is now. In just a few days, he's going to be betrayed. He's going to die. And Jesus gives a parable in verse 24. 
It's a pretty easy parable to figure out. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Okay, most of you are, a lot of you are farmers. I'm not, but I'm told that when you put wheat into the ground, what happens after a few months? You have harvest, right? Something grows. So something has to go into the ground, and then later on something comes up out of the ground, right? We call that agriculture. We call that harvest. Okay, help me out here, farmers. Is that what happens? Okay, Jesus is saying, in just a few days, I'm going to be the wheat. I'm going to die. They're going to put me in the ground. I'm going to die alone. And then three days later, I'm going to rise again. And there's going to be a great harvest because what's going to happen in my death, burial, and resurrection, there's going to be a multitude of sinners who are going to come to faith in me because I died and I rose again. So Jesus here is predicting his death with this parable of burial. His death, burial, and resurrection. Just like a grain of wheat goes into the ground, it has to stay there, and then if harvest comes up, Jesus has to die. He's going to go into the ground. Three days later, he's going to spring up. It's pretty easy to understand. But notice what he says about life. This is a principle all throughout the Bible. The path to spiritual life always comes through spiritual death. If you want to experience life, you've got to experience a death first. And if you're a Christian here this morning, you've experienced that death. You've died to your old self. You've, you, you've been crucified with Christ. You've been raised again. And notice what Jesus says. In verses 25 through 26, he explains what it truly means to follow him as Lord. Verse 25. Whoever loves his life, if you love your life, if you're, if you're enamored with your life, if it's all about you and your life and your agenda and your plans and everything revolves around you, Jesus says you're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. But if you hate your life in this world, if you die to yourself, if you take up your cross daily and follow me, if you surrender to me as Lord, in this life, if you hate your life in this life, you will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Must follow me. That is in a command in the original language. You must follow Jesus. It's in a present tense command. You must continually keep on as a lifestyle following Jesus. So is lordship optional here when Jesus is saying, you, 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 it's okay if you just want to take me as Savior, but you don't need to follow me. You don't need to submit to me. You don't need to die to yourself. Just, you know, just kind of accept me as your Lord and Savior. Sign a card, raise a hand, but you don't have to worry about repentance or change or any type of death to self and newness to life. Just, just kind of ask me into your heart. No. Jesus says it requires death. You must die to yourself. You must die to your life. You must lose your life. You must follow him. He says the same thing in Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 25. Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses and forfeits 
himself. What is genuine faith? Is it just accepting a few facts about who Jesus is and and saying, I believe God? Is genuine faith saying, I want to get out of hell free card, so I'll sign the card, I'll raise the hand, I'll walk the aisle, I'll even get dunked, because I don't want to go to hell. You know, a lot of people like Jesus as their Savior because he saves them from their sins, and praise the Lord, he does. Many people like Jesus as their Savior because he provides forgiveness of sins. Amen, he does. But those same people will not take him as Lord, as the one who has the right to dictate how they live and what they believe and demands their all to follow him. And Jesus is not going to divide up his office and say, you can take me as Savior, but it's optional whether you take me as Lord. Right here he says, you've got to die to yourself. You've got to repent. You've got to give up all and follow me. Lordship is not optional. All throughout the Gospel of John, we've seen this. In chapter 3, a believer loves the light. Chapter 3, a believer obeys the Son. Chapter 4, you worship Him in spirit and in truth. In chapter 5, you honor God. In chapter 8, you abide in His Word. In chapter 8, you hear God. In chapter 10, you hear and you follow the shepherd. All throughout the Gospel of John, the word repentance may not show up, but, but these words have been talking about abiding, living, hearing, following, coming, here, dying. It's not just this, I have head knowledge of who Jesus is, and I take him as my Savior, but I don't lay down my life to follow him. Jesus will not allow you to do that. You've got to repent. You've got to take up your cross daily. Now, some people are afraid that's a work. If you tell people to repent, you're adding a work to salvation. That's not a work. Repentance and faith are not works that, that, are, that are part of your salvation. They are responses that you have to the God who saved you. And the Bible says, repent and believe. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. He's written a really good book called The Soul Winner. It's on evangelism. He says this, quote, Another proof of the conquest of a soul for Christ will be found in a real change of life. If the man does not live differently from what he did before, his repentance needs to be repented of, and his conversion is a fiction. You must follow Jesus as king by dying to yourself. There's no idea in Scripture of this whole, I can take him as Savior, but it's optional to take him as Lord. You take him for who he is. And Jesus here tells us, what does he say? If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Whoever loves his life and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Which means the call to follow Christ is costly. It means you better think about it. It means that you've got to lose your life, lose your agenda, lose your plans, lose your priorities, all for Jesus. You see, I think those people on, on Palm Sunday there that were waving those palm branches, they wanted a Savior to fit into their box. I want a political leader. I want an earthly ruler. I want life to be comfortable in the way it was when we were on top of Israel, as Israel. Didn't have Roman Empire coming down, breathing down our necks. We want a political leader. That's what they wanted. Jesus turns that on the head and says, listen, you got it all wrong. I am king. 
I'm coming on a donkey. I'm going to die like a wheat that goes into the ground and pops back up. I'm going to die. You need to die too. If you're going to follow me, you need to experience a death. You've got to die to self. You've got to die to your agenda. You've got to die to your plans. You've got to take up your cross. You've got to follow me. And that's the path to true life. The, true, the path to true life always comes through death is what Jesus is saying here. And so you must receive him as Savior. That is, he's the only one who can save you from your sins. He's the only one that can clear you of your guilt. He's the only one that can forgive you. He's the only one that can make you right with God. Absolutely, you must receive Jesus as Savior, but at the same time, you must receive him as Lord. That is, the one who has the right to lead, guide, and direct your life, and that you follow him, and you submit to him. As Christians, we've died. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians 5, 17? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has what? Passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your old life has died. You've died. And you've been raised to newness in life. So here's the burden. What does this newness to life look like? If you as a Christian have died to sin, have been crucified with Christ, have been raised to newness of life, if you're walking in newness of life, what does this newness of life look like? What does it look like to walk in newness of life, to walk as a new person? Well, it looks like this. It means that you daily die to yourself. You daily take up your cross and follow Jesus. You daily submit to his lordship as the one who has the right to, to lead your life, as the one who has the right to tell you what to believe. It manifests itself in daily hating yourself, forsaking all, giving up all rights, and daily following him. That's what newness of life looks like. You're walking in new life, and you had to die before that happened. Before you've been raised to new life, you had to die. He is the coming king. He is the prince of peace. He is the lamb of God who takes away our sins, and he's worthy of worship. And there's a lot of people on Palm Sunday that were in the frenzy of the crowd waving those palm branches. But where were they a week later? when Jesus was being crucified on the cross. See, it's real easy to want a Savior on your terms. It's another thing to come to Jesus on his terms. And he defines the terms. It reminds me of the old hymn, wherever he leads, I'll go. Let me read those words to you because you may not be familiar with this old hymn. Take up thy cross and follow me, I heard my master say. I gave my life to ransom thee, surrender your all today. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. It may be through shadows dim or over the stormy sea. I take my cross and follow him wherever he leadeth me. My heart, my life, my all I bring to Christ who loves me soul. He's my master, Lord, and King. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll 
go. Is that hymn the song of your life? Wherever he leads, I'll go. You must follow Jesus as the king by dying to yourself. So let's bow our heads this morning and let's spend some time thinking about this passage of Scripture, thinking about Jesus as King, and asking the question, have you trusted Christ as both Savior and Lord? And is the hymn of your life wherever He leads? I'll go. Notice the hymn doesn't say, wherever I go, He'll follow. Wherever He leads, I'll go go. Spend some time this morning in prayer, asking the Lord to search your heart, and would you spend time worshiping and responding to the Word of God this morning. Come into this place this morning with all different thoughts coming through our minds, Lord, with so many different people in this room, I don't even begin to know where everybody's heart is, and and I'm glad I don't have to, because Holy Spirit, you do. But Lord, we've heard your very words to us. These aren't my words or just words that are out there. These are your words, Jesus. That your hour had come. That you were like the wheat that was to go into the ground and to pop up as a harvest in the death, burial, and resurrection. And you call us to die. Call us to submit to your lordship. So, Father, my prayer is if there be anybody here this morning that is not a believer yet, not a Christian yet, that today would be the day of their salvation. They would stop playing games and realize that they need to repent and believe in Jesus as both Savior and Lord. And that by your grace, God, you would grant them conviction of sin and to see the depth of their of their need, and that today would be the day they cry out to you in repentance and faith. For those of us here who are believers in Christ, would we follow you wherever you go, Lord? Wherever you lead, we'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. And Lord, that requires faith and trust because where you take us may not be fun at times and where you take us may be a little bit daunting and we may be unsure but Lord that's what it means to live by faith and not by sight and so we must trust you that you know what you're doing you're sovereign and we want to be behind you we don't want to be in the lead if we're in the lead Lord that's, that's backwards help us to follow you to submit to you to be behind you as our Lord. Thank you for this time of season, Lord, where we can begin to think about Christmas and what it means for you to be born, to die. I'm thankful that your timing is perfect. At just the right time, you were born. And here you said your time had come, your hour had come. Your timing is always perfect, Lord. And right now, in this moment, at this time, 
It's an opportune time that you've gathered us here under the preaching of the word during this time with this particular message at this particular place. Help us not to miss out on what you have for us in this time. Because you may have something very unique and special for many in this room to hear. May we have ears to hear and eyes to see what you have for us today. To the glory of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.